Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo. What's up, everybody? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are having an amazing week so far. Grateful that you are joining me today as I learned and sat there just patiently soaking in all the wisdom of this week's guest, Miss Stephanie Kwong. So Stephanie is a dear friend of mine and somebody that I've had tons of conversations with around self-trust, self-love, surrendering, and just creating more abundance through safety and a knowing in our own inner strength. Stephanie is a mindset mastery coach, a hypnotherapist, and a fantastic podcast host. She's the secret weapon that supports high achievers identify and remove mental and emotional roadblocks so they can achieve their next level of growth, abundance, ease, grace through hypnosis, breathwork, and other subconscious reprogramming techniques. She's highly sought after for her healing and transformative work, and she's supported thousands of people all over the world to reprogram their subconscious into a tool that can help them create greater levels of happiness, inner peace, and fulfillment. But one of the things I love most about Stephanie is that she's not just a teacher of life, <laughs> really a teacher of surrender, a teacher of, of uh, she's not, or she's not just a teacher. She's a seeker. Um, Stephanie is so committed to her own journey of inner peace, her own journey of surrender, her own journey of continually diving deeper and deeper into levels of trust within herself. And so when she shares what she shares in this episode, and when she teaches some of the frameworks that she does with her clients, it's all coming from a place of true knowing, you know, it's one thing to know, uh, and then it's another thing to, uh, learn, (laughs) And Stephanie is one of those people that has a level of integrity towards her own practice. And I think that's what inspires me most about this message. And I hope this inspires you to really dive deeper into your own practices of doing the work, right? It's one thing to learn and listen to this podcast, but implementing the things you learn on this podcast in your life, you know, going deeper into your own and taking action in your life as you take things from the the conversations here is so important. And in this episode, we talk all about self-trust and how and why we struggle to cultivate it, the eight different elements of self-love and why loving yourself leads to a greater level of trust. Oh man, there's so many things that I'm like just kind of bubbling with on this episode because I think surrender um, is one of the most beautiful practices of spirituality in life. And I think it's the one tool that leads to more just happiness and more joy and abundance, but you can't surrender without self-trust. You can't surrender without having a level of integrity with your word to yourself. And in this episode, I just hope you guys feel inspired to get deeper in those practices and really own your commitments to yourself so that you can create a level of alignment with life that you maybe haven't been experiencing in the past. So enjoy this episode. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on any of the podcast apps that you choose to listen to this 
these episodes on, join the Stay Grounded community. Go to rajana.com forward slash stay grounded. Not only will you get bonus content and all sorts of access to different teachings that I personally share inside of those communities, but you'll also get a, a community of others that are also moving towards life in beautiful ways and taking a lot of these concepts on the podcast and implementing them and then sharing their lessons so that you can also grow in your own ways with a community of people around you to do so with. So anyways, enjoy this episode. I sure as hell enjoyed Stephanie and all of her wisdom. And I hope you guys take just a little comfort in knowing that we're all on this journey together. It doesn't matter how far you are on this practice. I mean, I may be a few steps ahead of you. You may be a few steps ahead of me, but that's what's so beautiful about all this. All we're doing here is just walking each other home and we're all going to the same place. So thank you so much for being here. I love you guys. And without further ado, here is the amazing Stephanie Kwong. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome everybody to another episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are excited because I'm so damn pumped to be doing this with Stephanie. What's up, Steph? What's up, what's up? Thanks for having me, Raj. I'm so excited to have you here. I think if there was only a mic on for all of the rabbit hole conversations we've had, I think the world would be a much brighter and more beautiful place. And so I'm grateful that we get to do it this time with the mic on. So thankful. So, so, so grateful. Okay. Well, I've already introduced you and all of your awesomeness, so I will skip the boring details. I wanted to just jump into something that's been present for me recently that I think you may have a very interesting perspective on. Mm-hmm. Why is it so hard for people to trust themselves? Ooh, I know where you're going with this, and I like it. Hmm. Um, so from my understanding, well, first let's talk about what self-trust means. To me, self-trust is a deep knowing or having an absolute certainty that you can take care of yourself for your needs and for your own safety yeah. and that you truly have enough wisdom to guide yourself in your own life and to take care of yourself if say things fall off, but really it's all part of the path. And just my understanding is as we're growing up, you know, when we come into this world, we are looking externally constantly for what we should do, how we should be, you know, how things are done. And so we kind of put this authority outside of ourselves and onto other people, because that's just part the nature of developing as a child. And many of us don't ever take our power back, or we don't have parents who really say, ask us the questions of like, well, what do you think? How would you do that? Right. And start to actually build our own muscles in trusting ourselves in seeing that, we can figure out how to take care of our needs, that our opinions matter, and that we can really find our own inner answers too. And so I think that's a big part of where we start to lose the trust or not have trust in ourselves. And then another one is many of us will also break our words to ourselves. Mm. I mean, how many times, and I'm raising my hand, have I broken my word way more to myself than I have to others? And it's so interesting because integrity is one of my highest values, but I put so much integrity, like being my word towards others. And I break it to myself all the time. And self-trust is like being in a relationship with anybody, right? If, if you're constantly breaking your word to yourself, how much trust do you even have in who you are and your word anymore? 
It's like yeah. if you were friends with somebody and they kept saying they were going to do something and then they don't show up or they don't follow through. Eventually, like, I don't trust that person. I don't know if I want to be around them. And then what happens is we start to go into a place of self-judgment. Yeah. And then when we spiral into self-judgment, that continues to decrease our level of our ability to trust in who we are and what we say and in being able to achieve or accomplish the things that we deeply desire. What's the antidote? I guess like when we're constantly creating or it's almost like a spiral, there's a negative spiral going downwards because it feeds (laughs) itself into this cycle, right? What is the one thing or maybe anything like what is the thing that actually stops the spiral where it's at or actually begins to take it back the other way around? So how I've done it, because I really lost trust in myself. I was constantly crowdsourcing answers from other people to figure out like if what I'm doing is right or not. I didn't trust that I could take a risk and fail and recover from it. So then I hold myself back. Yeah. And there's many more examples, but those are just two that popped up in my head. And how I started to really develop that trust back is one is really starting to keep my word to myself. Yeah. Again, like any relationship, it's like, if I say I'm going to do something, I wipe away the excuses or the reasons that would normally come up in my mind of why I shouldn't. And I would just show up no matter what the way that I do for a friend that already started to build some trust back in for me. And then I would allow myself like to take bigger risks and through my self-talk would support myself through it, knowing that I had my own back so that I could trust in me versus the old conversations, which would be self-judgment of you can't do this. Who do you think that you are? All the imposter stuff would come in. right? And so once I started practicing, you know, kindness and not perfection towards me or that level of standard, I noticed that again, that trust started coming back. And Mm. if I took a risk and it did not work out in the way that I desired, again, it's that self-talk that inner conversation, the way I would treat myself was radically different. It would come with a lot of compassion and understanding and patience and support and championing versus the judgment and the blame and the doubt spirals. And that again, started to build more trust in me as well. I'm like, okay, well, I think that many times why we're afraid to do something like we say, well, we don't want to experience rejection from others, right? People like, I I don't want to take that risk because if I fail or if I put myself out there, I don't want rejection or judgment. But I think what we're most scared of is that rejection and judgment coming from ourselves. Yep. Because we take what people put down, like maybe it's a judgment comment on a post or, you know, maybe someone even says something to you personally, but we take what they put down and we continue to self-flagellate. Like we freaking keep hitting ourselves with this and we ruminate about the judgment and we'll we'll actually take it even deeper what they said. And it goes into even more abusive language towards ourself, which I think, again, like who wants to be around that person? And so we're so scared of almost that inner pain that we, and suffering that we generate. It's like, let's just stop that. Well, we want to put it on someone else. It's like, I don't want to be rejected by them. No, it's what's happening within us that we're most scared of. And I've seen that because, you know, when I, finally did a Vipassana and I was observing my own inner talk. I was like, so man, those people. Can you describe what a Vipassana is real quick for anybody listening who may yeah. not know? So Vipassana is a 10 day silent meditation. I did it out in Joshua Tree. I did it through the Goenka lineage. And with that, it is a 10 days 
where you are not speaking to anybody, you're not looking at anyone, you're meditating for 10 hours and 45 minutes a day, starting at 4 a.m., and then wow. you finish your final meditation at nine o'clock at night. Yeah, that's intense. Yeah. <laughs> it's really intense. And no journals, no distractions. They take your phone and put it in a safe right when you arrive. It's literally you with your thoughts and learning to escape. Technique. Yeah, to start to be with what is and practice equanimity, which brings so much peace when you can master that or even have the practice to shift into equanimity. It brings so much inner peace and also to observe or rewrite some of your subconscious too, because there's patterning that comes up. Usually what's in our subconscious will create the habituated thoughts that we have. The thoughts will create the feeling. The feeling will create the actions that we do or don't do. And so in the Vipassana, in the meditation, the practice is you'll start to feel sensations come up in your body, which creates a feeling. And usually what do we want to do? React to it, right? I want to stop the feeling. I want to change it. I want to find comfort again and not sit in this discomfort but in the actual practice of the Vipassana, you're actually being with what is. There's one that we do that is an hour long, and it's called um, like this, you're in a strong position, meaning the moment that you choose your spot, you cannot move at all. Like in other meditations, the longer ones, like if your leg goes dead, you can kind of move or shift or scratch your face if there's a scratch or an itch. But in the one in the strong pose, literally the moment you choose it, you cannot move. So if there's, you know, an itch somewhere or your there's a pain that comes up, a lot of that's the subconscious anyway that's like yeah, revealing it's a, it's, the energy. It's, it's the poking, right? Yes. Like it's poking you while you're yeah. while you're going through this because that's what we do. We bother ourselves. Yes. We don't let us sit in peace. We don't let us grow. We don't let us love ourselves and we just keep poking. Oh, you're doing something really good. Here. Or we don't sit in the discomfort even and just be with what is so that it can pass. Like really that's the the intention of it is like, can you be with what is as it is, not as you want it to be? So often we can't be with what is. We want to change it. We want to control it. We want to fix it. We want to judge it. We want to make it go away. And that creates so much inner resistance. And most people are walking around in resistance their whole entire day and night, and then wondering why they don't feel good or why they're struggling. Well, I think that there's a definition around feelings, right? Like when people say, like, you're not allowed to be angry, like you're not allowed, like that makes you a bad person. Mm. Feeling jealousy makes you a bad person. Doing this makes you a bad person. And inadvertently, you're judging yourself when the kindest thing you can actually do is just create the space for yourself to feel those emotions. And just allow them because your body would not be creating these emotions if they weren't meant to be felt. They weren't meant to teach, which then goes back to self-trust. Because when you trust yourself to be your best teacher, you're not fighting it. Mm -hmm. Like you're not just you're not just going in these circles of it's that loop. It goes back to that loop. And maybe that is it. Maybe the maybe the thing that's and I think you've mentioned this beautifully is maybe the thing that stops that loop is simply being. And accepting. Yeah, exactly. So when you can, because most of the time it's the feeling that in, in that feeling part of it, right? So we talked about like the beliefs then creates habituated thoughts yeah. the thoughts create the feelings the feelings create the action. And most of us are behaving based off of feeling. Yeah. Right. It's like, that doesn't feel good. I don't want to do it. Or I like that. It feels good. And a lot of times the feeling can be like fear-based. And so that's what then stops us versus like, can I just be with what is be with the feeling, which is just information trying to communicate to us anyway. And then yeah. When I'm actually just able to sit with the feeling and not judge it or not take an action off of the feeling, 
I then now have opened up a pathway for conscious choice on what action I want to choose versus reacting to the thing. Because if you have the feeling and then you just do the thing, which is usually the automatic trained behavior, that is a reaction. Yep. But we can sit with the feeling and then be with it and look at pathways now. You're now actually responding to the thing versus reacting, which then puts the power back into your lap. And it doesn't make you a bad person. I think that's the thing, like, right? Like when somebody, and I, and I think I've felt this in my past and I know people listening probably have too. Like when you sit there and you're feeling angry, you don't want to be angry. You don't want to be sad. You don't want to be those things, but just giving yourself a few moments mm-hmm. is just a practice that allows you to go from reactive to freedom, which is just yeah. right. Like, well, and the question becomes, why don't you want to be with those feelings? Hmm. Why don't we want to be with those feelings? Well, I think you kind of mentioned it at the top, right? You said that there's a judgment around anger. Let's just bring that one in. People have a certain meaning that they've placed onto what anger means. And so they don't want it. Because I was, I'll bring it up as an example. It's so funny. This is popping up in my head. I remember that a friend one day, we were just connecting. And all of a sudden, I don't know what I was doing, but she goes, Kwangi, you're so intense. And all of a sudden I was like, what? I'm not intense. Like, I'm really sweet. I'm really kind. And that's how I wanted to be seeing like this heart-centered love bug, joyful person, not intense. Because what I equated intense to was those emotions of anger, aggression, and all those things. And back in the day, that's how I experienced my father. And I never wanted to be like that, right? And my dad and I have a great relationship. And I see that he that came from his programming. And then I was witnessing it. And I was choosing something different because I had placed judgment. I was so scared of it. And so all of a sudden, and I I deem that as bad and wrong because it it was on the receiving end, it felt painful. So I never wanted to be that person who would impose that on another. And so when my friend said that, I like took it so personally and it really triggered me because it was like, that was a thing I was resisting and avoiding. I did not want to be that. And then she of course reframed it and was like, no, like to me, intensity is like, you're the type of person, if there's something you want to do, you just freaking go for it. Mm. And like, you put your whole heart into it. And I think that's awesome. But my interpretation of that was radically different. And so it depends on the meaning that you put yeah, onto things that then either has you welcome it into your life or want to push it away. And so when I started to reframe what anger and sadness, I was like, these are just sensations of the body. That's what I got in Vipassana, right? They're not good or bad, right or wrong. They're just information. It's data coming up to teach you something. As you said, we can learn from our feelings, especially if we sit in habituated feelings that are consistent, right? Like people who fall into the depression or the anxiety, this information that there's a deeper root that needs healing so that the consistent feelings can shift for us as well. Yeah. And that's why it is important to get to the root. Well, what's interesting about definitions, right? Like even that creating the space to understand a definition or a word from a different light just adds data mm-hmm. to your whole understanding of the experience altogether. Like I remember totally. with my dad, right? Like in Indian families, like respect, right? Like respect was always a very big thing, right? <laughs> like, and so when I, when I would yeah. get right, you probably get it being Asian <laughs> oh, yourself. Yeah. Like, so like, so I remember, I remember there was one time where I asked my father, dad, why don't you respect me? We were having an argument and it came backwards this way. And I remember him seeing so much trigger in that question 
Because for him, respect meant something. For him, respect had a certain set of rules or a certain set of parameters or a certain condition that was attached to it, probably because of the way he was brought up and all of his own experiences around the word. Mm -hmm. And if in that moment, I remember it caused a lot of dissonance because of our own internal definitions around what it means to respect, right? And if you start to think of it that way, then... Ultimately, words carry these charges for different people, right? And so Mm -hmm. it's important for even in that space to just understand that when you hear things, when you feel things, when you have exposure to these different words, whatever data, your emotions, whatever your emotions are responding to, whatever words are coming up are just opportunities to then choose a different interpretation that might lead to more joy or freedom. So I think that's all we really want. We just want freedom. Oh, completely. And love, and I love. would say. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually at a dinner party last night and I love it. We were in this conversation about meaning and interpretation or perception, right? I kind of mush them all into one ball. But this, in the conversation, this Hamlet quote came up, which was so profound. It says, for there's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so, Right. It's like the meaning. So nothing in this, everything in this world is neutral. I love that. It is just what it is, but it's the meaning or the thinking, right? It is what Hamlet said, but really I take thinking too. It's the meaning that we place on the thing, the experience that then we deem it as good or bad, Mm. right or wrong. I like it, don't like it. And it's interesting. I remember I was in this like leadership training the trainer, there was a woman in there who was, he was, or the trainer was going through the ground rules. Yeah. And one of the ground rules was that you cannot drink water in the training room. And she took it. Her interpretation was we can't have water during the training. And so she, they were kind of going at it and it really escalated to the point where, cause she took her water bottle and she just chugged it right in front of him in the room and that triggered him. And so he basically at the end said, get out of the room. And he cussed and he was like, get the F out of the room. And she fought back. Like she's Russian. So I think it's just like in her culture as well. So it was like this battle. And then eventually she left. And the trainer looked at all of us and said, based off of that interaction, how many of you thought that was bad and wrong and didn't like it? And majority of the people raised their hands. And he said, and how many of you experienced that, went through that experience and it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, it doesn't bother you. It didn't trigger anything internally for you. And there were people who raised their hands. And he goes, who's right? <laughs> so it's the meaning that we place on it. Like we, we're all looking at the same thing, right? There's no right or wrong, good or bad. It's two people saying words at each other at a higher volume. That's actually what happened. And then it's based off of our past history that we mush into the meaning of what we're interpreting that thing to be. And I like it, don't like it. It scared me. I'm empowered by it. That's what happens. So a lot of that, what you're pointing at. Yes. I'm like, just as you're saying that, I think the world, we're constantly in a battle between wanting to be right and wanting to be happy. (sighs) Constantly Mm -hmm. in that battle. And even that conversation, that interaction that was there, the entire premise was around, like who's right or this need to be right. But Mm -hmm. if freedom and love and joy is really ultimately what we're all seeking, why does this need to be right take so much precedence in our world? 
I feel like for people, their need to be right brings a level of safety and comfort. Okay. Because if I'm wrong, what does that mean about me? And what does that mean about my ability to be safe and comfortable? It's very disruptive for somebody because it's proving something they believe to be incorrect. And whatever we believe, what's familiar to us is safe for us. And whatever defies that is a threat or a perceived threat. That's just how the mind operates. So I think we want to be right. And also there's, I would say, digging underneath there, there's a matter of worth or value. Like if now I'm wrong, then what's my value versus if I'm right, I'm showing who I am as a brilliant, smart person with something to offer. So that would be my take on it. I'm curious what your take on (laughs) why people need to be right. I think it goes back to that self-trust thing. Like Mm. we've placed so much importance on even gaining validation from the world. Like the world tells us how well we do. The world tells us how successful we are. The world tells us pretty much everything. Like it's, it's the mirror that we look outwards and we've been trained to see this mirror as what we are. And so in the world of that, right is the currency, at least in, in, in the games that society has deemed to be the ones that we all need to be playing. But Mm -hmm. when you change the conversation, because the other side of self-trust really for me has been surrender. Like when I surrender the need to be right, I actually find trust, right? I find peace and freedom. And then when that becomes, I mean, it just takes, it's, it's a different operating system. I think that, totally. that re- well, here's a, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it takes trust to surrender, mm. right? Surrendering is an active practice. It's not this passive, just like I give up, which I think most people connect what surrender means. But I think in the context of what we're talking about with surrender, it's a willingness to lean back and trust that I'm going to be okay, that everything is always working out for me. And that no matter what, I am safe. Mm. Right. And we're all fighting for our safety, which is why we have this need to control or to be right. And that is the antithesis to the ability to surrender. Yeah. And what you said, I wanted to kind of come back and circle back when you're like, well, so much of who we are is reflected back in our external, right? The validation. But who's the creator of that? Hmm. We are. We are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like life is what's happening outside of us is merely a reflection of what's internal. So again, putting the power back within us, we're creating that. It's not happening at us, right? It's again, merely a reflection of what's internally happening. And if we want the reflection, right, the circumstances, the people, the feelings, the things to shift, we've got to dive into the inner world to upgrade that and to match what it is that we say that we want so that all of a sudden we start to see the reflection externally as well. So let's say somebody's bought into now this idea of, okay, I don't really need to be right. I want to be happy, right? Or I want to be, I want to, I want to feel love. I want to feel freedom from the need to even be right. Right. What are some like crash testing 101 on surrender? Like how does one even begin to surrender in, in a way that allows them to build that muscle? Because I, I personally, and now I've actually come to the conclusion, we've talked about this a lot, but I've come to the conclusion <laughs> that that the more I surrender, the better my world gets. The more yes. I let go of what is and I allow whatever is happening and just allow it and just be in the present moment of this fantastic, beautiful 
creation that is life, the more I let go and the more I let in, life just happens to move faster. The right relationships come in my life. But that took me even some time to get to. In certain ways, it took a big knock on the door for like a forced surrender, if you would. So like, Mm -hmm. how can one even begin that practice? Like, where does that even, because I feel like that is coming back to self-trust. I don't think you can self-trust without surrender. No, I think it's surrendering to yourself even, right? That you have what you need Mm. within to be or do or to have whatever it is that you desire. Knowing that you're enough. And (laughs) I mean, I feel like the practice of surrender is going to be unique to each person. You got to find what your pathway is for you. I don't think there's a clear cut one way. However, what I found that's been really supportive for me, already what you said, letting go, like whenever I notice points of resistance in my life and you can tell when you're in resistance because you can literally feel it in your body. That's when all of a sudden I go into the self-talk, right? That is supportive of a level of trust in self or surrender that allows me to let go, that has me dismantle whatever it is that is generating the resistance internally. And usually the dismantling is of the thought or the belief that's creating the feeling. And so when I know that I have my own back to be able to do that, boom, that already builds self-trust. But also it's the willingness to let go of the thoughts that we once used to hold so precious. And many of the thoughts that we held precious were the ones that would be harmful and hurtful to self. This is something that just came up for me and I have to ask it because mm-hmm. I feel like you're just brilliant at this. What was your scariest act of surrender and what did you learn from it? <sighs> so I would say my scariest act of surrender was giving up the belief that I'm not supported. I held that one so tightly vested where I was like, I was wanted to be so right about how I was not supported. and. I had evidence of that, right? So I thought it was really scary for me to let go and to let people in and to let the support in Mm. and to know that I was valuable and worthy of it. And each and every time I would notice myself in resistance, right? All of a sudden someone would try to offer support. And it's so crazy how the mind literally deletes and distorts information that doesn't fit in with what you believe. And so many times people said, well, what do you need? And I'd be like, oh, I don't need anything. I'm good. I'm good. What do you need? Mm-hmm. And then my, I got to be right about, see, look, I have to do everything for every day and no one does anything for me. But I wasn't even seeing that that was present in my reality. And so when I really started to let go of that belief, to surrender that thought or that belief and start to let it in, it felt very confronting and scary for me because what I was habituated into, what was familiar to me was independence. What was familiar to me was I give to everybody and I don't receive. And so for me to actually start to dismantle that and to let people in and to let people support me, even though that for some people like, well, what's the big deal? It was actually very threatening for me and it felt extraordinarily uncomfortable. To receive help? And yes. That's hard for a lot of people. And to ask for it. Yeah. yeah. And the moment I would start to ask and if people said no, I had to surrender the idea that they had to say yes. Right. Like let it go. And not be attached to that now because they said, no, that means that, see, look, you're right. Nobody wants to help you. And it's like like this constant practice 
of needing to release and surrender and let go of these beliefs that were harmful for me. And to really, the biggest surrender though, was to fall into the arms of like God for me, you could say universe source and to trust that life was working for me. And that I was so supported and that the things that I wanted, wanted me. And that I was on this path to abundance and love and joy and freedom. And that I just had to surrender and get the fuck out of the way and let life flow through me. Because that's the greatest support I think that we could ever be willing to receive. And that was difficult for me because all I knew was um, a life of struggle, a life of push, a life of lone wolfing it to actually, again, surrender that to that and to surrender to life itself. That takes, again, a heck of a lot of trust because it's like, all right, well, if I'm not doing it, I was so used to, if I do this, this is the outcome. And I had to really disrupt that and go, well, I don't need to force and push and drive anymore and just open up. And it was like, boom, life loaded and trusting that life would do that. It takes a little while for life to flow in though. Like it's like, it's flowing in, in micro moments. Like you don't get the big, it's like jumping off the cliff. Like the pair, you pull the parachute. It's not immediately going <laughs> to like, it's going to be like, got to pull it a few times and then, but you're still falling. And then all of a sudden you pull and you get the right amount of lift. I think that's part of it, right? That's part of, mm. I think that's why, and at least what I've seen, like surrender doesn't happen the way you think it's going to happen. Even that attachment, like, oh, I surrendered. I'm going to get everything I want. That's the practice of surrender. It's actually surrendering yeah. to even that expectation that when I surrender, mm. everything is there. If I surrender, I'll get this. And I think that really does come back to then build. I think trust in actually full circle, trust to me just sounds like, the belief that everything is happening for you. When you align yourself universally with that flow of life, then you just become a conduit for whatever's happening and you trust that, you just trust. Whether it's trusting mm-hmm. yourself or trusting in sources and forces beyond your right. understanding, yeah. it's all the same thing. Yeah, it's really, I would say if you boil it down to one thing, It's your willingness to stop the resistance. Mm. Like whether it is the resistance with self, the resistance with life, the resistance with other people, the resistance with your thoughts, like whatever it is, when you surrender, it's like, I'm actually just choosing to release the resistance. But we're also accustomed to living in that state, which then puts people in these stress states all the time, right? And constant anxiety, worry, fear. And if you just surrender it, and say, I'm going to choose to let go of this resistance, what becomes available to you? That's a powerful question. Yeah, like who would I be and what becomes available to me when I stop the resistance, when I release the resistance, when I release the need to be right, when I release these negative thoughts, when I release this need to control, what becomes available to me and who can I truly be? Who do I become? And again, going back full circle, you shared... What do people crave the most? Freedom, love. Well, when you release the resistance, whether it's internally or externally, what's available? Freedom, a ton of freedom and a ton of love. And even on the love piece, so much, many of us are resisting love, letting it in. You said, just let life in, let the love in. It's always available. And especially within yourself, can you let love in from you? That's a new one for me. I mean, I'm, that's a... It took a long time. Yeah. Still in the practice. <laughs> that's one of those... That's a boss mode. That's a boss mode level. But like, I've, I feel like, you know, self-love has been a journey for lack of a better word. Everybody. Right? Like yeah. giving myself the permission 
to love myself has been something that I have had to learn the hard way in many ways. And, but those are the, like these acts of surrender, these acts Mm -hmm. of choice where you're choosing joy over the need to be right. Or when you're choosing to let go over a need to control, that is the highest form of self-love that you can practice, right? Like you're giving yourself the permission to be exactly as you are, right? Without Mm. the interpretation of it, right? The, The meaning, yeah, that's unconditional love, Raj. Like, Look, my understanding of self-love, there's different components to it, but ultimately it's like how you're being with yourself, Mm, right? I have like a self-love course and I pulled out eight different ways of being that I think if you can even master one, you're totally on your way, but like the eight different elements of how to be with yourself to really be in that loving energy is self-acceptance, self-forgiveness, self-compassion, self-respect. Self-permission, you said that one, self-permission, self-trust, and receiving. Those are all of them. Oh, and self-appreciation. Uh, so those are eight different ways of being loving with yourself that if you can embody or be able to swim through all of them, like how much different you would feel. And it's interesting because I work in my, in my private practice, I work with very, very high achieving people. Yeah. They usually will come to me thinking they need to strategize or solve an issue that they're dealing with. And then really when we reverse engineer everything, it really always comes back to how they're being with themselves and that self-love is the missing piece, you know? And I think that's for everybody. It's we're searching outside of ourselves so much to attain this thing, to feel a certain way. When really, again, I know that we just want to feel love and that freedom that you said. And if we can find that source within, we don't need to seek it without. And we have it within. We're just not tapping in. We're thinking that something outside of us is going to bring us that feeling. No, it's us that's actually going to generate it. Because even again, with the external circumstances, right? Like in a relationship, let's say, I'm just using that for the model of love. Like when I have a relationship, then I'll feel love. Well, you're putting the meaning to the neutral thing outside of you. And that's the... That's generating the feeling. Yeah. And you're still doing it. You're the one doing it, not them. Well, that's the big cosmic (laughs) joke, right? Like you sit here saying, oh, when I have that much money, I'll be happy. Or when I have that level, when I have that kind of relationship, I'll be loved. But someone else is looking at your exact same situation and saying that exact same thing. They're saying, oh, if I was in Raj's shoes, man, I would feel so good. Or if I were in Stephanie's shoes, I'd feel so good. And that's the thing. We're constantly thinking, but someone else is doing the same with us. And so if we could look at ourselves the way that others look at us, it's almost it's almost like treating yourself like I heard this quote from a friend of mine. um, I think you might know to Adam Roa. He talks a lot about treating yourself like someone you love. Right. And disassociating yourself. And it's almost, and then Kummel, Ravi Kant, same thing. If I love myself, what would I do? We're constantly asking ourselves and treating ourselves like, like when we start to recognize that we are the ones that are going to set ourselves free, everything falls by the wayside. Literally, you are the creator. You're the creator of everything in your reality. Stop looking the control panel outside of you is internal always. I think that's the soul journey that 
pretty much every human being on this planet is here to do. Mm. It's like come in with these preset limitations. And many of them are limitations of self. However it looks, it's going to look different for everybody, but kind of the same, right? The core root of it is the same, but the circumstances and the people and the players that are part of this cosmic game are all different, but it leads us down this one path, ultimately, which I see it as coming home to yourself. Mm. We don't constantly look for home and safety and things and the feelings outside of us. It comes back to who we are, that we have everything divinely within us to play this beautiful game called I desire to feel love and freedom. And it's all accessible within. We're walking but so many of us off. have, we are absolutely walking ourselves home. And especially to that place of that love, you know, that unconditional yeah. love, like, can I be with myself in all ways and love and accept me just as I am and like, let go of the judgment and the shame and the guilt and the, all the stuff that's like behavioral adaptations of experiences that we had in the past and truly just connect to the essence of who we are, which is love. I think people are afraid that if they, at least myself, if I lived like that, can I actually have all the things I want, right? Like, cause if there's a certain, there's a certain level of fear that created a certain level of lifestyle that I have now that I'm very grateful for. Right. But if I actually went the opposite and if I actually surrendered all that, if I actually fell in love or fell into that pool of trusting that something else was going to help me get all the things I wanted, would I actually have all that? Mm -hmm. It's so interesting because a lot of my clients will say that, like I had one, his mantra was prove them wrong. And he built a massive tech company and sold it for a lot of money. And that's what he kind of puts his success to is like his prove them wrong mentality. And then he sold his company and the level of fulfillment he experienced from that lasted a couple minutes. Hmm. And the thought became, is that it for him? And I think that's usually what happens when people are generating from that edge, right? I don't want to lose my edge because when we started to try to dismantle that for him and create a new energetic source for him to create from in his next venture, It was scary for him Mm -hmm. because like you said, he's like, I achieved all this stuff from that. What if I let that go? I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to continue to accomplish at the levels that I've been able to. Oh, we're so painfully human. (laughs) We're so painfully human. (laughs) It's interesting because literally, if you think about even just a child, yeah, you could scare the crap out of them and have them perform. That's how it was for me. Like I can move and I can get shit done and I can like perform like a maniac. Mm -hmm. And that's because it came from a lot of fear, but ultimately the creation process sucked. When you got to the end of the road, it wasn't fulfilling. And then, and that's how, if you think about how would a child experience if you're constantly freaking them out and scaring them and beating it into them that they need to achieve, they'll do it and they may get there or they will usually get there because they're so freaking scared. Um, But it doesn't feel good in the end. And then if you think about it on the other way, what if I actually sat there cheering on a child? I was like, you got this. Come on, get your head back in the game. You got this. I got your back. Just one more step. Do you think that child could still achieve? Yeah. And in the end, when they got there, how would they feel? One of the biggest like ahas for me, I guess in the last six months have been 
you know, if you took two Rajas, gave them the same exact situations, right? Let's say, let's take a shitty situation, two shitty situations, two Rajas right there. The situation doesn't necessarily change. It is the perception of the situation that changes. Mm -hmm. So like I would still act and work hard and do all the things necessary, but I don't have to feel the suffering that comes with it. Yes. Right. And like, I think that was a big change for me because I used to think again that edge, that, that fear powered egoic, like edge, that sword that just freaking slayed everything. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, ultimately all, yeah, it did slay, but I don't know. It slayed a sense of but self too. Cost? Yeah. But at what cost? At cost. It was an internal, it was always. Yeah. And I'm sure Raj, like the internal conversation that you had to slay was not fun. No. It was probably extraordinarily abusive, yeah. right? What can you slay in another way? And that becomes the question. And it's scary for people, again, because it's unfamiliar, yep. right? What we're used to in achieving is this one way. I know that I can achieve if I do this thing. And we become so set in that one way. But are there multiple ways to get to where we want to go? And ones that can actually generate more of what we want, which is greater levels of fulfillment. And that freedom and that love and that joy. And currently, yeah, you made it to the the destination, but you didn't get to actually experience all the things that you said that you wanted along the way. And so can we reframe it and and shift it so that we can create and operate in whole new ways? And I know because that used to be me. And when I started to shift and to surrender and to trust and to actually have a lot more fun and to change the meanings I was placing on things to actually move me forward instead of hold me back, my creation process went at quantum speed, Mm. like literally went at quantum speed and to the point where I was working less and achieving more (laughs) and literally like right now I'm on a new project and resources are falling in my lap like crazy. And people who are so good at what they do, they're highly accomplished, want to come onto my project and not ask for any money even. I'm like, whoa, what is actually happening? Right. I mean, down the road, sure, they'll be compensated, but right now it's just like, who I am, how I'm showing up, the vibration and the way that I'm choosing to believe on how creation can be done is more from a place of ease and flow. That things don't have to be hard all the time. We talked about resistance earlier. Like we're so accustomed to resistance. What if we actually created from flow, from freedom, from joy, for the fun of creation, instead of I also need to create this to prove something about myself, which is usually when we're creating with that harsh sword. Mm. We're not creating because it generates fulfillment because we're killing our fulfillment with that sword the whole entire time, right? But if we actually create from the place that we already want to be at, which is that love, that joy, that freedom, we've already accomplished it, whether it actualizes in the external world or not. I think it's trusting joy. I think it's trusting that source as an actual sword, right? Like it's, it's trusting that this can be wielded. I think that's what we haven't been taught. That's what hasn't mm-hmm. been taught in schools and societies. It just hasn't been taught that joy and love can be just as effective of a tool and an asset to create the life that you want as fear, mm-hmm. guilt, shame, and all of those other emotional yeah. frequencies or vibrations that the world is currently operating on. Totally. And it's, it's like going rogue, right? Cause what you said, most of the world is operating that way. However, when you're willing to shift your paradigms and operate from a new operating system, it becomes a whole new world to play in and results can. The, the world, cause the, it's always been there. 
It's always been there. You're just shifting your lens to see what you want to see. So like, like everything's already here. That's that, that was the biggest aha for me. Like in general, like you don't necessarily like that was the, by believing my edge was creating a world. It was. Absolutely. It was playing inside of a world that it saw. Like it just saw this angle, this way of doing things, this, this philosophy, these people, everything was this one construct. But when you start to shift that to gratitude, to love, to compassion, like when you start to choose to see those things, and if you can't see those outward, you can see those inward. It's all there. It's all the same, right? It's the same exact person, the same exact feeling, the same exact opportunity, just from the other side. It doesn't Mm -hmm. change it. And totally. And that becomes your choice. Again, going back to what's the meaning in the operating system that you want to come from, right? For most people, hard work means success, Mm. means the money, means the outcomes that we say we want. And when you're not doing that, then it means the opposite. But what if we flip the meaning and going, actually, When you are in a state of, I'll pick up what you put down, gratitude, love, joy, freedom, that means that you can create at higher capacities. That means that you get the results that you want. It's all a matter of, again, what meaning we want to make, what interpretation, and what paradigms are we generating to operate from? And also checking in, is how you're currently doing things working for you or not? And I would say for most people, it's not. When they're coming from that, like, again, like my client that proved them wrong, or that I have to fight this with my sword, you're coming at it from resistance. And what does resistance create in the body? Stress. Yeah. A whole cascade of the stuff that you don't want. Stress, overwhelm, burnout. Who that's not, it's not the only way to create. But again, as you said, it's how we've, most of us have been conditioned to believe that that's how we have to create. And so can you be willing to flip that on its head and be willing to explore, even though it's uncertain, so that can feel uncomfortable, but new ways of being and creating that are actually sustainable versus just obtainable. And that's worth trusting. Yeah. And that's going to actually move you towards what it is that you want, which is feeling that freedom, feeling that trust, feeling that love, and feeling all the higher vibrations and being able to call in what you want with greater ease because it is possible. I mean, I know because I've played on both sides. And then, and it took a lot of courage (laughs) to be willing to flip the script and I resisted it and I didn't trust it. And then I kept noticing every time I'm like, no, 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 I'm trusting. And I like look down, I'm like still white knuckling. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'm not (laughs) surrender more, let it go. It was so used to this one way and it takes something to break those patterns to again, shift and to rewire what's in your subconscious of what you currently believed up until now about how things are supposed to be or how what you want to create has to be done in this way. You're the best. There are multiple ways. You're the best. I I love, one, it's just exuding joy. And I love that. I, I see it in you and I'm seeing it being reflected back. And I think that's what makes the, that's what makes you such a beautiful teacher of this philosophy in that like you're you're practicing it and it's I'm seeing it and it's there and we're not perfect by any means but it's even in the acceptance of that journey that you so I uh, just I'm inspired by you Steph you're amazing thanks my friend here's the thing and I said this to a friend last night at the dinner party 
Because I, whenever I notice like the negative thoughts come up or the judgments or the doubt or the comparison, that used to be my worst kryptonite is comparing myself to other people. I told her, because she's like, you just seem so much more content. And I said, look, I'm more committed to my inner peace than I am to being right. Going back to what we said, I don't need to be right about how other people are better than me. I don't need to be right about how I'm not doing enough. I don't need to be right about whatever the judgments it is. I'm so committed to being at peace that I'm willing to surrender the resistance and come back to just that self-love and the acknowledging of everything that is right that I am grateful for. And that just like comes right back to, and it's a freaking practice because again, we're so wired for that resistance, man. And I'm like, nope, I'm more committed to my peace. So whatever is in my present state right now, that's generating resistance, it gets to go. Mm, I love that. Steph, how Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about your self love course or really anything that you've got available to anybody who wants to dive deeper into these practices? Yeah. Um, so I have two uh, different online courses right now. One is a self-love transformation and the other one is a self-hypnosis mastery course, both necessary, right? And so the self-love one, again, I talk about at eight different ways of being loving with yourself and just repeating them quickly again. Um, it's self-acceptance. So can I accept myself as I am and release the judgment? Because that's what really keeps a lot of people stuck in these feelings of resistance and pain and suffering is the self-judgments. The second is self-forgiveness. The willingness to stop making yourself wrong, to forgive yourself and to let go whatever grievances that you've created upon yourself or to others. And then self-compassion. That was one of my hardest ones. (laughs) That's self-explanatory. Self-appreciation. Many people are more willing to look at what's not working about them and to judge themselves again versus like celebrating who they are and looking at all that they have done right or all that is right about them and to celebrate that. Then there's the self-respect piece. Many times we do things that are lacking respect of self. And how do you restore that self-respect within you? There's many different ways. Self-trust, we've talked a lot about that. Self-permission and then receiving is the final one. And so inside the course, I really dive deep into talking about what each pillar is. And then for each pillar, you have five tangible practices on how to start to integrate that into your life. And these are just a starting point, right? Because again, choose what works for you, but these are actually ways to actually start to activate those ways of being that are loving with yourself instead of like harsh and judgmental. So if you struggle with self-doubt, self-beat up, any sort of that self-abuse, and you want to create a whole different way of being, I highly recommend going through that course. I've had thousands of students around the world go through it. And then the other one is the, it's called Believe, and it's a self-hypnosis mastery course. Because again, most of what's rooted in, or what stems in what doesn't work in our life is based off of our beliefs. Because again, the beliefs create the thought, thought create the feeling, the feeling creates the action or inaction. And so instead of changing just the action, which most of us try to do, like let's just go to the strategy or the change the doing. If what's in the subconscious, what you believe is still the same, you're never going to actually achieve the things that you want. That course shows people how to partner with their subconscious Mm. and to rewire their beliefs. And I have processes in there as well that are way deeper. So it's not just programming, what do I want? But I have like an inner child process in there to do deep healing. There's a lot of different change work processes. Once you're accessing your subconscious, 
on how to generate change and healing for yourself. Beautiful. Well, everybody listening, we'll make those links available in the show notes. Um, Steph, I got one last question for you. In the midst of everything you've been through, where you are right now and where you're going, how do you stay grounded? I look at my feet. (laughs) Wow. Fun. All right. So let me explain because I'm sure everybody's like, what do you mean by that? Like whenever my mind wants to fly into different places that aren't serving me or I feel, you know, and again, still in my mind, like that fear or that worry, that anxiety, or when things are so crazy around me and I've got so much to do or all these moving parts, right? And everything feels chaotic or um, too much. I just pause and look down at my feet and go, I am right here. This is where I am. And it brings me back to the present moment instead of where my mind is flying all over, whether it's in the past or the future. And it's like, you know, I had a mentor say that she's like, find your feet. Where are they right Mm. here? And that's what keeps me grounded. And many times when you find your feet, you are grounded somewhere. And that grounding, as we know, there's like physical grounding practices to keep you grounded. But that's, that one has been so supportive. I mean, I used to, I think on the last, in our last conversation, like breath is definitely one as well that grounds me for sure. And there's different styles of breath that can either activate energy or um, slower, put you in your parasympathetic nervous system, depending on what direction you want to get grounded in. But breath, but really finding my feet now and even breathing. So let's just combine those two breathing consciously as I find my feet to bring myself right here, right now, when everything is perfect and all is good. Mm, I love that so much. I love you. You're the best. <laughs> I love you. Um, but guys, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Stephanie. And from us. Stay grounded. Love you guys and love you, Rob. Love you too. Chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.